This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and ate and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. <clears throat> For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put to Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let no one <clears throat> thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful. This is verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. <clears throat> Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the, Lord, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, 
just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Let's pray. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, Lord, our desire is that we would do it all to your glory. That includes uh, me speaking on this podium. Uh, that includes uh, all of our brothers and sisters that faithfully serve our, our, our body on a weekly basis. And includes my brothers and sisters here that are sitting in these chairs here to hear from you and not from me. So, Lord, may you speak to us this morning. You just use me as a mouthpiece so that your people, your beloved people, will hear what you have in store for them. That lives will be changed, not because I said anything significant, but because of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So this morning... We're going to continue going through 1 Corinthians, and I'll be preaching from chapter 10. Um, I was heard, if I heard someone say, heretical, heretical, I said I would just tell them that I'm preaching based off of the last two weeks or three weeks from the other pastor, so you can blame them if I say anything heretical. Um, But here in chapter 10, this is where Paul continues to confront the Christians in the city of Corinth, about how they were selfishly exercising their Christian liberties, that they were not being mindful of others or of gospel advancement. Now, in my preparation for today's message, I did come across an article on self-worship, and uh, the author actually starts off um, the article with a few statistics. He says, 84% of Americans believe that Enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. 86% believe that to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things you desire most. And last, I think this is the most alarming one, 91% affirm this statement. To find yourself, look within yourself. The author goes on to list uh, what he calls these commandments to a fast-growing religion, the religion of self-worship. He even adds a hashtag that goes with each commandment, so I'll, I'll read you just a few of them. Your mind is the source and standard of truth, so no matter what, trust yourself. Hashtag, the answers are within. Your emotions are authoritative, so never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Hashtag, follow your heart. You are sovereign, so flex your omnipotence and bend the universe around your dreams and desires. Hashtag, live your truth. Now, when I read, when I read some of those commandments of self-worship, you know, what, what came to your mind? Uh, did, you, did you agree with some of them? Uh, see some partial truths to them? Or did it just sound absolutely ridiculous for me to say those things? Now, before you get offended or, or think that I was maybe testing your theology on the sovereignty of God, let me ask you a few more follow-up questions. <clears throat> Have you ever made a decision where a mature and wise person gave you some advice 
to not do something, but you did it anyway? Hashtag, the answers are within. Have you ever gotten into an argument with a loved one? But all you could focus on was how you felt, not as concerned about the other person. Hashtag, follow your heart. And have you ever insisted on doing something or got disappointed, maybe even upset, because you didn't get your way? Hashtag, live your truth. Now, I don't know how you answered those questions, but do the answers at least change the way you think of the commandments of self-worship, as I mentioned earlier? While there are many forms of idolatry in our culture that are normalized, there's no denying the normalizing of self-idolization. All you have to do is look at all the different holidays, festivals, remembrance days, heritage, and history months, and the list is only growing. Now, to be clear, this is not to make light of or to belittle a particular holiday, celebrating of that holiday, or remembering a certain person or a moment in history. But the question is, who gets to determine what is celebration worthy? And I believe that we live in this world where it is I, it is me, it is the self is the answer to that question. We're not just encouraged to be true to ourselves, but it is expected that we affirm everyone's being true to themselves, and it is actually considered offensive or hateful when we don't. So I've titled today's message as, You shall not make yourself an idol. So if you know the second commandment, it's a little subtle uh, play on words where God's commandment is, you shall not make for yourselves an idol. And I'm titling today's message, you shall not make yourself an idol. Um, In our our message today, we'll first look at how self-idolization is deceiving and destructive. And then we'll look at how we can actually deny ourselves and fight the temptation of self-idolization. So the main idea, I hope you remember and take with you today, is this. Deny yourself to the glory of God. Deny yourself to the glory of God. As we've seen in this letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, the Christians believed that they had their theology straight. They knew that there's only one true God and that idols are nothing. And because they were now free in Christ, it didn't go against their conscience to participate in the banquets, in the pagan temples, or to eat meat sacrifices. And in our text, Paul is certainly continuing to address these issues, the issue of eating meat sacrifices, going to pagan temples. But I believe he is actually further making the connection with a specific form of idolatry, and that is the idolatry of self, or self-idolatry. Now, before, before getting into the details of self-idolization, I do believe it's worth mentioning how normalized, uh, one scholar calls, temple culture was in Corinth. For one, these pagan temples weren't strictly places of worship. The temple courts functioned like a modern-day restaurant where there were communal gatherings. You know, there were festivals, um, local issues would be discussed amongst fellow citizens, People would find employment, business transactions were made. So to not participate in and to reject temple culture, in effect, meant to separate oneself from the civic life of the city. 
So it's very normal. And in addition to that, participating in these meals in the pagan temples was not really considered even religious. Yes, they had priests that did their thing, and they had some uh, devoted believers that did their thing, but many would have just felt quite indifferent about the whole process. So this explains why it is that the Christians in Corinth would actually go into these temples in the first place. There was much to gain, and if anything, too much to lose by not participating. So embracing temple culture was essential to being a high-functioning citizen of Corinth, and the fact that immersing in this culture wasn't deemed as something with spiritual significance only made it easier or more enticing for the Christians to freely participate. So what do I mean by self-idolization? Obviously, I'm not talking about, you know, carved out images of myself, you know, bowing down to myself or offering animal sacrifices to myself. That would be really weird. But what we do have to know first is what idolatry is before we can define what self-idolizing is. So what is idolatry? Well, idolatry, simply put, is worshiping of someone or something other than God as though it were God. It is loving and prioritizing over God and robbing of His glory that is rightfully His. So then, what is self-idolizing? It would be to worship self, to love and prioritize self over God. And you yourself become the robber of God's glory. It is to put yourself before God. And we'll see throughout this chapter, Paul's concern for the Corinthians or their blind, being blind to their self-idolization. Because of how much there was for personal gain, personal gain, they were not mindful of the consequences of their actions, how God would view their actions, how their actions may potentially affect those around them, Christians and non-believers. So the problem wasn't really in these Christians that would intentionally walk into the pagan temples with the intent to worship idols. That wasn't really the issue. The problem was they are being so full of themselves that by prioritizing their desires and seeking their own advantages over others, they were idolizing themselves without really realizing that that's what they were doing. And we also, like the Corinthian church, are mainly concerned with doing what is right in our own eyes and not in the eyes of God. We seek to satisfy ourselves in a way that only God can. And even the good things like, I mean, not like turkey, but even the good things like big Thanksgiving meals, we make them into God things. And we often prioritize ourselves, our desires, what we think feels right in the moment without much consideration to what God would think of our actions and how those actions would impact others. Now, there's a lot that we can talk about self-idolization, but derived from our text, we'll be focusing on two characteristics, and one is that self-idolization is deceiving, and the other is that it is destructive. Self-idolization is deceiving, and it is destructive. First, self-idolizing or self-idolization is deceiving. What do I mean by that? It is deceiving in the sense that we falsely believe that we know what is best for ourselves. And through our actions and our thoughts, we actually convey that we think we are like God. 
In verses 1 through 10, Paul gives several examples of how the Israelites did not please God. And so for the sake of time, we won't get into the details of the specifics. But what we do see is idolatry, indulging in sexual immorality, putting Christ to the test, and even grumbling. Now remember, these were the Israelites. These were the chosen people of God who were delivered out of slavery from Egypt. God fed them, gave them water, gave them protection. He even led them in their time in the wilderness towards the promised land. Yet time and time again, they desired evil and rebelled against God. And as verse 5 reads, with most of them, God was not pleased. Now let's be clear. It's not that the Israelites did not have the knowledge. They knew who God was. They know what they did for their people. They know what he did for their people. And it's not that they were confused with what they were instructed to do by their appointed leaders. They disobeyed God because they believed that they knew what was best for them. Their desiring evil, acting in ways that did not please God, only exposed their believing that in those moments, they had the ultimate authority to call the shots, as if they were God. Now, the vast majority of us, and, and maybe every single one of us here, would never verbally, with our mouths, claim that we are like God. But our actions would reveal that our hearts have misplaced worship. In these moments of self-idolatry, we forget that God, not ourselves, is the source and standard of truth, and that God and only God is sovereign and supreme. All that we know about God, all the ways that God provided for us, and even the painful lessons from past experiences in these moments of self-idolatry, they all get clouded and are overpowered by our circumstances. Now imagine that one time you got into a heated argument with a loved one, whether it was your spouse, family member, your child, maybe even a close friend, and I'm talking about that time when things got a little ugly. You know, voices were raised. Hurtful things were said and done. Maybe even a lengthy time between um, uh, without reconciliation. I'm talking about that one time when you know, you're so petty that you would make kids going through puberty look like mature adults. Talk about that time. Now, when I look at that incident that in my life has only happened once, I'm, and I think about that time where my mind was, how, how I felt in my heart, all I can think of is how upset I am, how frustrated I am, how disappointed I am, how I was wronged. It all becomes about me and only me. Who God is and what he's done in my life, those are temporarily erased. The gratitude for his mercy and grace, those things are nowhere to be found. Initiating reconciliation, that seems unjust. And how undeserving I am of such treatment overpowers how undeserving I am of God's grace. There's no room for any serious consideration for that other person. And even if there was, we would kick them out just to make more room for ourselves. Because in those moments, 
All that matters is me. I know what's best. I know what's true. And no one, not even God, can tell me what to do. We deceive ourselves to think that the world revolves around us and our circumstances falsely determine who God is and who we are, and we become the arbiters of truth, arbiters of goodness and justice. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I mean, for us, even when it comes to our fear of man, you know, we, we say that it's because we're not sure what we should say, but really, we're so concerned about our own reputation, how it makes us look, our status. Maybe even that's why there's some hesitancy for us to invite our friends to our Christmas series uh, starting next week. Maybe that's why we're hesitant to share the gospel. So, so self-idolization is deceiving, but it's also destructive. Going back to our text, we see how God responds to all the forms of idolatry. How does he do that? In verse 5, it says, they were thrown, overthrown in the wilderness. And in verses 9 and 10, it says that they were destroyed. It says that they were destroyed. And in addition to the warning by giving examples of the Israelites, Paul also makes the connection between participating in pagan meals and festivals and taking the Lord's Supper. And <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to briefly summarize verses 14 to 22, Paul here is telling the Corinthians that as sensible people, they should know that if they believe that there is some spiritual significance to their taking of the cup of blessing and bread, uh, breaking the bread, even if it's true, even if it's true that the food offered to idols are nothing and that idols are nothing, they can't ignore the spiritual significance to willingly participating in meals in pagan temple halls. Now, the specific effects and impact of demons, we'll have to table that for another sermon. But we certainly cannot and should not gloss over the spiritual significance of being participants with demons. At the very least, there is some damage. There's some impact that is severe enough, as we see in verse 22, to provoke the Lord to jealousy and to give this false impression that we are stronger than him. There are real, weighty, often deadly consequences to our self-idolization. And since self-idolization has the damaging spiritual consequences that it does, Paul says in verse 14, flee from idolatry. My beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul is urging the brothers and sisters in Corinth to not take their idolatry lightly. And he pleads with them that they will learn from the failures of their forefathers to, to not make the same deadly mistakes. Whatever there is to gain personally by going to these temple courts, participating in these meals, it's not worth the risk of arousing the Lord's jealousy. And this destructive nature of self-idolization does not only apply to us personally, but also communally. We saw this in chapter 8 and 9, how the exercising of one's so-called rights can possibly lead to the person becoming a stumbling block, destroying the weak brother, 
or be an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, let me repeat those phrases. Becoming a stumbling block. <clears throat> destroying the weak brother. Destroying the brother for whom Christ died. And being an obstacle in the way of the gospel. <clears throat> those words should give us some serious pause. But I wonder if we take the sin of stumbling others too lightly or if we don't even fully recognize the heavy consequences of being a stumbling block. And maybe that is why, even if we are aware of the possibility of being a stumbling block by exercising our Christian freedoms, we still go ahead and do whatever that we want because it feels right to us in the moment. Maybe we think that even though being a stumbling block is, is not something to be celebrated, right? It's not something to be proud of, but it's not that serious. Um, it's a little bit of harm, but it's something that could be easily repaired. It's like, uh, you know, it's the win winter is upon us, uh, snow removal is upon us, and so it's like small Michigan potholes, right? It's the ones that you can drive over or you can like quickly maneuver over. It's the, it's the small ones. No real damage to the car. But when Paul says in verse 32, to give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church, or in chapter 8 when he says to not cause one to stumble or be a stumbling block, Paul is not saying don't give bad advice. He's saying don't be the cause of your brother or sister to sin. The Greek word aproskopos, if I'm saying that right, it's translate, which is translated as to give no offense, as we see in verse 32, is derived from the verb proskopto, which literally means to strike against something, to make contact with something in a bruising or violent manner. That's what it is to stumble someone. It's to make contact in a bruising and violent manner. And Paul's warning to the Christians in Corinth for exercising their freedoms for selfish gain at the expense of causing destruction should be a sobering warning to us all. There is great harm in causing one to sin and it's something that we cannot take lightly. So going back to our pothole analogy, being a stumbling block is more like in Michigan we see the craters. Right? It's the ones where the cars get stuck, severely damaged, or even totaled. We are constantly surrounded by temptations that could potentially cause us to stumble. We're in a world full of lies that lead us astray. Whether it's what we consume through the internet, um, all the different sources of media, the things that we read, places that we go, even non-believing family and friends that as kind and generous as they may be, unintentionally inviting us to participate in fellowship that would weigh on our conscience. So, the last thing our brothers and sisters need from us is to be a stumbling block or cause to stumble that leads to their destruction. Now, maybe exercising your Christian liberties and my Christian liberties, insisting on our own ways of living with little to no regard for your so-called brothers and sisters, maybe that's an indication of what you really think about them. 
Could it be the case that we don't love our church family as much as we say that we do with our mouths? Could it be the case that when we say church family, we really only have those who we are closer to, the ones we share more in common in mind, rather than the entire body? And as much as we call each other the family of God, we have to ask ourselves, how concerned are we regarding the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters? And how much weight do Jesus' words carry when he said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him. For great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Restore Church, do you see patterns or certain situations in your life where you seem more susceptible to falsely believing that you know what's best for you, which then leads to suffering from I guess we could call it temporary gospel amnesia. And what are the temples that we frequent without giving much consideration to the potential damage spiritually, personally, but also to those around us? Self-idolization is truly deceiving and destructive, so we must learn from our forefathers and from our past experiences and take heed lest we fall. And in the introduction, I said that the main idea of today's message is to deny yourself to the glory of God. To follow Jesus, to be one of his disciples, requires for us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. Those are Jesus' words. It requires for us to say no to ourselves and yes to God. Now, this does not mean we pursue some form of um, asceticism, right, where it's, there's absolutely no appreciation uh, for, for all the different ways that God wants us to enjoy life. It's actually not just permissible to have preferences. I, I believe it's something to be celebrated because it does show how uniquely God created us. But it does mean submit your will to God. It means to pray the famous prayer of Jesus at Gethsemane when he cried out, not my will, but yours be done, and making that a lifelong commitment. It means to say no to the things that cause you to stumble when everything in you wants to say yes, and it's to say yes to the things that glorify God when everything in you wants to say no. And saying yes to God also means we say yes to others. It doesn't mean to be a people pleaser in the sense that you affirm everyone in every way that they want to be confirmed, affirmed, but it means to seek their good, to seek their advantage, which is that they may be saved. In other words, our chief concern in how we love others must be in regards to their spiritual well-being, that they may be saved. What is the greatest commandment? It's to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say love your neighbor a lot, as much as you can. To love your neighbor as a friend or as a, as a family member. It says to love your neighbor as yourself. And as much as we idolize, love ourselves, 
What would our families look like if we love them as ourselves? What would our neighborhoods look like if we loved our neighbors as ourselves? What would our workplaces look like? What would our church look like? And what would the Thanksgiving table with all of our not the easiest to get along family members and friends and in-laws are gathered, what would that dinner table look like if we love those in all of our spheres of influence as ourselves, as much as we love ourselves? So again, with the holiday season upon us and starting our Christmas series starting next week, may we love our neighbors as ourselves, that our burden would be that they may be saved and that we, that we will be encouraged to invest in those relationships and really seriously consider inviting them in the coming weeks. God was very clear with his intentions when he made us a free people. We like to celebrate freedom here. But it was to be all things to all people. That is what it means to be a free people, to be a servant to all people. It is to live as people who are free not using our freedoms as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, 1 Peter 2.16. It is not to use our freedom as an opportunity for flesh, but through love to serve one another, Galatians 5.13. And saying no to self, saying yes to God, and saying yes to others means, verse 31 in our text today, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that we do it all to the glory of God. Not to our pleasures, not to our conveniences, not to our desires, or to our glory. Brothers and sisters, let's be honest. Self-denial is hard. It's bleeping hard. Um, And it's difficult because in our flesh we still desire evil. It's difficult because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's difficult because even though we know that the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked, we are still so trusting of our own hearts. Um, Anyone here, I guess show of hands, familiar with that Challenge. I don't know the, what the exact word is, but it's it's where you'll see um, a child that's left alone um, with a cookie or a piece of candy, um, and and they're giving these clear instructions to to not eat it, to not eat it before mom or dad or whoever comes back, and so you know they're being recorded and probably don't know about it, and um, it's uh it's quite the scene to see these toddlers and some not so toddlers, big, bigger kids to, to do the, all sorts of things that they do to resist this temptation. If you, I guess my handkerchief could be the cookie. It's, they'll just kind of stare at the cookie, right? Get really close and just stare at it. Or, you know, they, they start talking to themselves. Uh, they'll hold the cookie to put it down. They'll get a deep sniff of it. And then they hold it again and they put it down. They'll, they'll put their finger on it and then lick their fingers, right? It, it's, it's, it's absolutely hilarious to watch these clips, but then we see how that child is really us and how stinking and tempting and challenging it feels 
to say no to self and to say yes to God. In the moments of self-idolization, the deceiving whispers of the serpent, the echo so loudly, it mutes the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's my confession to you that I have had too many moments in my life when I told myself, I know this is who God is. I know what God has done for my life. I know this is who I am. I am this new being in Christ. I know what I'm supposed to do. But right now, nah. I simply refuse to do what I'm supposed to do because, well, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I know I have to be humble and extend grace, but God knows how hurt I am. So really, apologizing for anything, it's not an option. I know I need to depend on God for wisdom and strength, but I'm just so tired. God knows how tired I am. So it's understandable how passive and impatient I've been with my children. God calls me to love my spouse sacrificially, but he knows how poorly my spouse has treated me as of late. So me holding grudges, not willing to reconcile swiftly, that's expected. How about you? How often do you excuse your self-idolization because of your pride? How often do you excuse your self-idolization because of how tired you are? How hurt and upset you are? How often do you excuse your self-idolization because of how good it makes you feel in the moment? And how often do you excuse your self-idolization because of your comfort and convenience? Now, I don't know about you, but I too often find myself failing to pass the cookie test. I care too much about myself. I act as if the world revolves around me, too stubborn, too prideful, self-consumed, so consumed to even confess and repent for blatant sins. Knowing what I'm supposed to do, but still saying no in my heart. I'm like the child, going back to our cookie challenge or whatever you call it, I'm like that child that doesn't put up much of a fight, just smashes the cookie before the parents come, then lies about it, blames the dog, with all the chocolate and crumbs still on my face. Brothers and sisters, according to the world, true self-denial as God requires, it's not just difficult, it's impossible. As deceiving and destructive our self-idolization is, it is virtually impossible to prioritize God in advantage of others over our personal gain. It is impossible to be all things to all people, is it not? In verse 32, it says, to give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church. How is that possible? And with all the ways that the world celebrates self-idolization in our, what seems, our flesh that seems so powerful, how can we possibly deny ourselves? 
and to do it in a manner that glorifies God. We can, brothers and sisters, we can deny ourselves because God is faithful. Not because we are faithful, but because God is faithful. And according to his word, as we see in our text in verse 13, he is faithful to not let us be tempted beyond our abilities. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that we may be able to endure it. Now, verse 13 should be both a rebuke and an encouragement. We should be rebuked by it because... This does mean that God keeps us from temptations greater than we can withstand, which then means that we cannot plead our temptations as an excuse of sinning. However, we must also be encouraged by the same word. The same word because it means our fleeing from temptation, our resisting of our self-idolatry, or the denying of ourselves to the glory of God is possible in God. And it's, only be, and it's only possible because it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is possible because, as we were taught to pray, that we would not be led into temptation, but delivered from evil, God promised us that when we ask, we shall receive. And it is possible because the Holy Spirit who abides in us intercedes for us, guides us into all truth, enables us. And when this happens, those very few moments, when it does happen, when we truly deny ourselves, God is glorified. When we reject the whispers of the enemy that are so deceiving and so destructive, when we flee from our self-idolization, God is glorified. When we willingly forego or give up our Christian liberties to do what is helpful and what builds up others to their advantage, God is glorified. When we become all things to all people, to serve all people, God is glorified. When we say no to self and yes to God and yes to others, God is glorified. But because it is the work that can only be done by the power of the gospel, God is glorified. It is because the impossible, what is seemingly impossible, is made possible by the power of the gospel. God is glorified. May we deny ourselves to the glory of God. Um, as I try to come to a close, um, in our attempts to deny ourselves to the glory of God, we must look to the perfect example we have in Christ. Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, who was glorified not just in heaven, but on Calvary, where he laid down his life for us self-idolizing sinners. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, his divine right, he didn't count it a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and made himself a servant to all, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Why? So that many may be saved to the glory of God. As Paul calls us to imitate him as he imitated Christ, we must deny ourselves for others 
as Christ denied himself perfectly for us. Self-denial may seem impossible in the world that celebrates and idolizes self-idolization, but when we extend to others what we want from God, our love for God is visibly manifested. And when we become the vehicle to display this impossible thing of loving our neighbors as ourselves, when it is made possible, all glory goes to God. Brothers and sisters, may we deny ourselves to the glory of God. And as often as we fall to self-idolization, as we fill ourselves with more of ourselves, we need to be constantly reminded of who God is and who we are in him, in relationship to him, and how he commands us to live. And the only way to hear from God, to put on blast the voice of God that mutes the whispers of the enemy, is by reading his word. We must see ourselves as God sees us, and to do that, we must be in his word. We have to read the word to be read by the word. We must pray daily. Jesus' prayer, not my will, but your will be done. To deny ourselves and to take up our crosses daily. We must not forsake the gathering as we are doing this morning to be under the preaching of God's word, to worship him. We must stay connected with the body, the big body, and to be reminded that the only true and lasting thing that unites us, truly bonds us, is our shared identity in Christ. And we need each other. We truly need each other to speak truth and love to one another, to remind each other that we are truly free, not when we leverage our, bro- not when we leverage our freedom for personal gain, but when we leverage our freedom for the advantage of others. Um, our sister Helen prayed earlier this morning that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. What makes us follow, followers of Christ is not a life free of failures. That's for sure. Um, rather, it is acknowledging that we cannot do anything on our own accord to glorify God. It is to fully embrace that God will glorify himself as he empowers us to do the impossible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what a glorious privilege it is that he would call us self-idolizing sinners that are so susceptible to the deception and destruction of self-idolization that he would call us to be all things to all people. That he calls us, that it is possible for us to not seek our own advantage, but that of many. As the psalmist sings, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That is my prayer for us today. Brothers and sisters, we can deny ourselves to the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I, in this moment, feel the weight of that last sentence that we can deny ourselves to the glory of God. Lord, it, it does seem impossible. Uh, 
I definitely myself don't have the greatest of track records to show that I could deny myself to put you where you belong or really to acknowledge you where you belong but falsely thinking that I could sit on your throne to put myself before others. I so often am that stumbling block that metaphorically strikes my brothers and sisters in a bruising and violent manner. Lord, may you forgive me in all the ways that I have failed, that I have depended on myself, that I did succumb to the temptations and desires of my heart. But Lord, thank God, thank God that my stand before you does not depend on me living this perfect life but it is looking to, clinging to the perfect life that your son lived on this earth. Thank you, God, that we have the gospel. Thank you, God, that it is the gospel that empowers us to do the impossible. And thank you that we do have those moments of victory, those moments where we truly do and can deny ourselves to your glory. So Holy Spirit, may you continue to do a work in our hearts. May you continue to help us in searching ways where we fall to self-idolization. That we would be led to your word daily to meditate on the truth of who you are and who we are in you. And out of that overflow of love for you, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. God, be with us as we continue to worship deny ourselves, and glorify your name. In Christ's name we pray.